Hi everyone, welcome to the Sabbath School Commentary for Lesson 10 of our quarter this this first quarter of the year. Right now we are going to be doing the Sabbath School Commentary on the lesson, Jesus Opens the Way Through the Veil. My name is Lawson Walters, I am a Bible worker and a radio host here in the North East South Wales Conference, and I'm super blessed to be able to lead you guys through the Sabbath School for this week. Jesus Opens the Way through the veil. This is an amazing topic. Uh, we're just going to be covering what the days are going through. I'll be giving some, sharing some thoughts and some opinions and some Bible texts and some applications with you guys on that. Starting with Sunday's lesson, Jesus before the Father. This will be the starting point for what this week's lesson will take us on, this journey through and past the veil. We're going to be learning a bunch of different things, the need for a mediator, what Christ has done for us, and even answering the question like, why doesn't God just show up and show us? This idea that this question that people often ask is, yeah, why doesn't God just show up and just reveal himself to us? We're going to be seeing why God can't actually do that. But starting with this first lesson on Sunday, Jesus before the Father. This is a really amazing lesson. It essentially goes on what Christ achieved in coming to this earth and what that ultimately led to. The Bible, the sorry, the Sabbath school shows us how Christ retraced the steps of Israel through his life, completed the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booths, all these different feasts that were applied to him. He toiled for 40 days. We know the story of when he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness as an allusion to how he was living the life uh, that they were living. He was doing everything that they had done. But the difference was, is that Christ, when Christ was completing this journey and this trek, he did it perfectly. He perfectly relived the steps of Israel in the perfect step, not in the perfect sense, not that he just did what they did, but he was without sin. He was a human being on this earth living without sin. And that ultimately leads him to the cross, his sacrifice that he makes for humanity. He's lived the perfect life doing everything that they have done and all points tempted as we were, yet he didn't sin. He gives his life. And then he appears before the Father. And this is the highlighted verse from Sunday. We see in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24, where the Bible says, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. This is essentially the clearest example of Christ acting as our mediator. Christ is literally standing before us and God. Christ is uh, God himself. He is part of the, the Godhead. He is God on this earth. But as he has given himself, as he has gone from divinity to humanity, and he's lived on this earth uh, with his divinity and humanity, but it, receiving and enduring every single test that came before him, now he goes to the Father as the perfect sacrifice, having lived perfectly, being spotless, without blemish, no sin. He goes before God to stand in our place with the blood of his own sacrifice as payment for our sins, for our missteps, for our mistakes. This is the, the essence of the gospel message, that the law required death. <laughs> According to the law of God, we are to die because it is perfect. Sin doesn't make sense. Yet Christ in his incredible love and God in his incredible love for us gave himself, came to this earth, lived as we lived, but died the death in our place and experienced it all. Praise the Lord.
That's amazing. That's incredible. But now we take the step into Monday's lesson. I love the progression here. It's okay. If Christ goes in our place as a mediator, wouldn't naturally the next step be if he's our, if he's our middle man would be to connect us. It's clear and, and simple. It makes sense to me. A mediator in most purposes, in most contexts, acts as that middleman to bring two parties together, whether it's in a legal context or a business context, you've got a mediator in the middle that works to bring to bridge the gap between those two parties. And so it makes sense that God would now want to come to us, that we could be reunited, that the barrier of sin wouldn't exist anymore. But we see in Monday's lesson, what was the experience of God's people when they tried to spend time with him, particularly like this pre-Christ experience. It highlights the experience of the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And we know that Moses goes up on the mountain, he eats, he drinks with God, he spends time with God. As he comes down from the mountain, sanctified, his face shines like the sun, which is incredible. Then we come to Hebrews chapter 12, 18 to 21, where the Bible says this, it says, and this is actually Paul, he's giving, he's using the experience of the Israelites as an allusion to the Hebrews that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews. And he says, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with fire and that blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the word so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly fr- afraid and trembling. The reality is for sinful human beings, and even in Moses's case, that the presence of God is terrifying and it does lead to death. This is why God wants to purify and cleanse his people. This is why the sacrifice is needed. God is so overwhelmingly perfect and he is made, or he is, his presence is so sinless that sin in its presence, in his presence, is destroyed. And so there is this manifestation of of fear that comes about his people and of death because God is there. God, obviously, he wants to spend time with his people. He wants to be close to us. But how can he be if sin exists? This is why the plan of salvation was put in place in the first place. And now, if this is the experience of the Israelites who came close to God uh, on the mountain, what about for the rest of the world? It's just this is the, the reality that we live in, that we don't have the ability to come close to God because of our exceeding sinfulness. So then how can we? How can we? How can we draw close to God? Now, this is really powerful. Tuesday's lesson says it's titled The Need for a veil. And it essentially goes over like why there was need for uh, people to uh, avail to shield God's presence in the Shekinah glory from the priests who were ministering in the temple. So if we have a look in Leviticus chapter 10, 1 to 3, it gives us an example of this taking place of people coming into God's presence, specifically priests coming into God's presence without, yeah, in their sinfulness. Here we see the Bible says in uh, Hebrew, sorry, Leviticus chapter 10, verse one, it says, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, 
Each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which had not he had not commanded. So the fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses and Aaron, uh, and Moses said to Aaron, "This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified." So Aaron held his peace. Now, people pick up this passage, anti-Christian apologists who want to make a case from the Bible that God is bad, they pick up this passage and it's like, how could God be so harsh to Nadab and Abihu? Like, why is God so terrible? But in fact, we see this situation here of what we've been describing before just playing out. That when sinful people come into God's presence, the natural consequence is that they're destroyed. Uh, not because God wants to destroy them, not because God hates them. God is long-suffering. He is wanting them to experience salvation. But the reality is that they come before God and they come with this profane fire. I, I believe what's being practiced here is the sin of presumption. They just think, they're just going through the motions. They think that, oh, anything we do is okay. They're not regarding God as holy. They're like, oh, we can throw this fire in there even though it's not commanded by God, even though it's in the wrong time in the wrong place they come before god with this fire and it says that fire went out from the lord and devoured them and they died before the lord um, and then moses makes the clear point from what god said he's like those who come near me when they come near me i must be uh, regarded as holy those need to realize that when they step before me they need to be in in a place of experiencing holiness and sanctification themselves they need to let go of sin sin cannot abide where god is as i've been making the point and so they just couldn't show up they couldn't do what they were doing it was profane before god it was terrible and so they ended up losing their lives because of it it's interesting though it says afterwards that they called a number of people and they carried these two guys, Nadab and Abihu, out by their robes. Their robes weren't burnt, but they were burnt themselves. And so we believe from that that their robes were repurposed, were continued to be used in the sanctuary service. And because it wasn't the robes that were unholy, it wasn't the clothes, it was these guys, it was their attitude, it was their heart. And that's why they ended up that's why they ended up losing their lives. And from this point, because of this struggle that Israel had with the presence of God being near them, they moved the, the sanctuary further away from the center. Yeah, it just wasn't going well for them. And it shows us too, again, I mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier in the study, but when people say, oh, why can't God just show up and just show me that he's real? The reality is because of our sinfulness, because of our distant hearts from God, if he did, we would be destroyed. We would be destroyed. And so the point that I'm making here and the point that the lesson is making is this underlines, it highlights the need for Christ to be our mediator in this uh, particular day, the need for a veil. The reason we need that veil is because, you know, if we come into the presence of God as sinful human beings and don't regard him as holy, we'll be destroyed. And so as Christ bridges that gap, as he does the work in us, as he made the sacrifice for us, and then furthermore follows that up with the work that he done does in us uh, to make us holy, then we can come into God's presence. Now let's head over to Hebrews chapter 10. This is the verse for Wednesday. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9 to 22, where the Bible says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a priest 
over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, this passage is incredible. It's amazing. It gives allusion to many of the services of the sanctuary, but it ultimately shows us what Christ achieved in being our sacrifice and in being our mediator as well. It says, so far, God's people have been had have lacked the confidence to go before him because when they have gone before him it has led ultimately to their death and destruction because of their sinfulness they have lacked that confidence and then Paul is writing in chapter 10 therefore actually brethren we can have boldness to enter the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us. Jesus has made a way through the veil by his sacrifice. And he has become our living high priest. He is continuing to minister for us. Furthermore, he is, he is mediating for us in heaven. He is representing us before God with the power of, of his own perfect sacrifice and with the power of his blood. And then, yeah, it's saying that then let us come forth in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. This is alluding to the sprinkling that would take place in the sanctuary itself when the blood um, of an innocent lamb, which had the sins of the sinner confessed on it, it was sprinkled in the sanctuary, that sin was forgiven. So it says, hey, let's sprinkle our hearts. As in the same way in which the blood was sprinkled on the veil and sin was forgiven, let's sprinkle our hearts with the blood of Christ so that we may be forgiven. Sprinkle, yeah, on our hearts so that we may be purified from an evil conscience. And then I love here, our bodies washed with a pure water, a clear, very clear allusion to baptism and the washing away of sin and even the cleansing of the sanctuary itself, that sin would be cleansed, it would be washed away, it would be done with forever because we have been consecrated by Jesus. Now, does this mean our sin is right now, as soon as we repent, like we are found blameless before the Lord? I believe so, but then it's, oh, but I'm still in my sinful, deformed, mortal flesh. I'm living in a sinful, deformed, mortal world. We have this process of sanctification of character on this earth, which will be then fully realized when when Christ comes, when we're all made new. But I want to highlight something clear. I want to highlight something from the Bible that can have real application to us today. I believe everything that this lesson is talking about has real application to us. But something that, especially as Adventists, really speaks to our time today. And we're going to find it in Revelation chapter 4. I'm sure you guys know this is the, the area of the Bible that contains our mission statement as a church, the three angels' messages. But I love how the messages are preceded with what those who follow God and proclaim this message will look like when he comes back. Starting in Revelation 14 uh, and verse 1, it says, Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song, get this, before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song, that song, except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Check it out. These people who are following God at the end of time, 
these people, God's response to Revelation 13, the beast of the sea, the beast of the earth, these powers in the world that are sucking everyone in and giving people the mark of the beast. His response is that he has his own people that get this. This is the important point that relates to our study that stand before the throne. They're in the presence of God, confident and assured. They're not being destroyed. They're in the presence of God, holy and solely. They come before, they're, they're standing before their, the throne. They're singing a new song. And then look what it says about them in verse four. These are the ones who were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouths was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne. When we see this circumstance, when we see this situation of, oh, we can't come to God because we are so exceedingly sinful. We can't come. There's this clear barrier. If we come before him, we'll be destroyed. And so it's like, how can I know? How can I know that I'm in? How can I know that I'm going to make it? Well, look at what these 144,000 do. This is the, the example that we have to follow. They follow the lamb. He goes. They have given their hearts fully to Christ. They have relinquished sin, but not in this way, the way that they, you know, gripped really tight. They, they, they whited their knuckles and tried really hard, but they just decided to follow. They decided to follow and God had done a work in them. This is the real point of the book of Hebrews, particularly it really casts mind to chapter eight, verse 10. And this is the covenant that I'll make with Israel after those days, says the Lord, that I will write the laws on their hearts and on their minds. It is ultimately God's job to do this work of sanctification in us, but it's our job to be willing to let it happen. And like the father, the paralytic boy who Jesus comes down from the Mount, from the Mount of Transfiguration to heal, you know, we often find out ourselves in times of just wanting to sin, wanting to do what, do what our heart is desiring. We are so led by our feelings and by our desires. Yet we see in that situation, this father, he is in the same boat as all of us. He's God, I want to follow you. I want to have faith, but I don't know if I can. And so he says to Jesus, help me to be willing. Like my, my, I am weak. Help me. I, I'm willing, but help me to be willing to be willing. God, work in my heart. Like I need you to do this work. We are in such need today of the power of the Holy Spirit, of the power of the Holy Spirit to do a sanctifying work in our hearts. That's the only way in which we'll be able to stand before God perfect and without being destroyed. And so guys, it's my prayer that as you pray and consider this lesson, you'll come to God, you'll fall on your knees, you'll repent of sin and you'll say, God, consecrate me, bless me, help me to follow you. I've been really blessed by the study this week and I hope you guys have been blessed too. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for more Sabbath school commentaries and uh, have a fantastic Sabbath as well.